Well, hello there, and welcome again uh, to listening to our sermons from our Sunday services. We are just so glad that you're listening today. We are privileged to have Tim Strickland with us. He is the Leadership Development Director from Feb Central, and he actually attends our church, uh, but has recently made the move with his family to Hamilton. And uh, so we're going to miss them, but he decided to preach one last sermon for us before he left. And so we hope you enjoy it. It's from Exodus 34 about what is God really like? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, hi, everyone. It's good to be here at Milton Bible Church, even if we're here virtually together. I know people are watching all around Milton and beyond, and I am excited to be able to share a message from the Word of God with you today. It's been exciting to me to see what our church has been doing, uh, still continuing to connect with community virtually, as well as through Food for Life, and just the ministry of this church continuing on. Uh, The message I want to bring today, it's called, God, I'm Listening, What Are You Really Like? Uh, Often, we talk to Siri, our phone, you know, you pull out your phone, and Siri, what does Siri say? I'm careful, she's going to come on. Says, I'm listening. Well, imagine you could speak to God that way, and of course, you can pray to him anytime, but imagine God says, I'm listening, and the question you ask, God, what are you really like? I want to tell you about a study that was done a few years ago by the Crop Organization in 2017. They found in asking the questions about what people believed about God, they they were just digging in not just to see if people believed in God in Canada, but what they thought God was like. And here's what they found. They found that 22% of Canadians believe in God as taught by my religion. So in their church or their mosque or whatever their belief system is, they believe as taught by their religion. 37% believe in God in my own way, their own constructed image of God. So they'd kind of put together their own thought of what God is like. 21% believe in God as a force of which we are all a part. So if you've seen Star Wars, may the force be with you, 21% of Canadians believe in God that is something like an impersonal spiritual force. And then 20% believe life is purely a biological phenomena, so that it's an atheistic belief that doesn't really have any belief about God. I find it fascinating because when we're in the midst of this challenging time, there's been people praying and maybe people even turning to God, perhaps, but the question is, what do you believe about God? What do you believe God is like? And one of the blessings we have in the Bible is that we don't just have some general view of God, we actually have a specific understanding of what he is like. And I firmly believe that if more people understood what God is like, more people would follow him. I want to answer this question, what is God really like? And we're going to turn to the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Now, I, I love the book of Exodus. It dates back 3,400 years before our time, 1400 BC approximately. And it's the story of how God takes the Jewish people out of slavery in the land of Egypt and brings them on a journey to Mount Sinai and eventually after the book of Exodus to the promised land. And in this book of Exodus, we find this question answered, what is God really like? There's a point in the story where Pharaoh, who's the, basically the king of Egypt, the leader of Egypt, Moses confronts him in Exodus 5.2, and Pharaoh says, and, and what does Moses say? We used to sing a song, I don't know if you remember it, uh, if you went to church or Sunday school, it went, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh, baby, let my people go, huh. Do you, you know it? You know it? Just maybe you're singing along right now? No, you don't know it. Okay, that's all right, that's all right. 
Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? That's the question Pharaoh asked. And that's a fair question to ask today. Who is this God who's saying, follow me, who, who wants us to trust in him, to give our life to him? Who is he? What is he really like? Well, in Exodus, we see this answered in many ways. And remember, when Exodus was written, they didn't know what God is like. They didn't know all the things we know of Scripture. Jesus hadn't come yet. David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all the prophets and leaders of the Bible, they, they hadn't shown up yet. So they were learning what God is like. In Exodus 3, we find he's the great I Am. In Exodus 7 through 12, these plagues come down on Egypt, and God reveals himself as a God of power. Um, One of the plagues, in fact, it's a plague of darkness, where there's darkness, a pitch black darkness over the land of Egypt. Now, if you know anything about Egypt, you know their great God was Ra, the God of the sun. And so when your God is the sun God, and another God shows up and makes your nation totally dark, what it's saying is that your God stinks, (laughs) because this God who has come is greater than the God of the Son. So God is a God of power. We see that God is a God of salvation, saving his people and bringing them out of Egypt in salvation. He's a God of laws. The famous Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. He's a God of holiness, as we see the system that of, by which Israel would worship God is established, pointing to God as a God of holiness, righteousness. In Exodus 34, again, the focus of our message today, we find what God is like, though, because there's this moment where Israel, after God has saved them and taken them out to Mount Sinai and given the Ten Commandments, they they actually rebel against him and start worshiping a false god, a golden calf. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking to God, and he's afraid that God isn't going to go with them. And, and And he's totally in fear that God is going to leave them because of their sin. And God says, no, I'm going to go with you. And Moses asked for proof, and the way he asked for proof that God will continue to go with them, we find it in Exodus 33, verse 17, or verse 18. Moses says, please show me your glory. That's what he asked God, please show me your glory. Interesting question, interesting request. Now, what do you think God is going to answer? What what do you think he's going to show Moses to show his glory? Is it going to be like a light show, angels singing the hallelujah chorus, hallelujah, you know, halos and that kind of thing? Well, when you think about the word glory, you might think of lights in a big light show or something. But actually in the Bible, what you find is that glory is something different when God displays it. It can be the lights, but it's so much more. Of Jesus, it was said, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Isn't that interesting? When they saw Jesus, they saw the glory of God. And it wasn't because he walked around with a halo around his head. It's because something they saw in Jesus displayed the glory of God. The Apostle Paul would write, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's glory. We've all sinned. What is it that we fall short of? In falling short of his glory. Well clearly it's his character. We fall short of the holiness and righteousness of God because of our sin. 
So when the Bible talks about the glory of God, it talks actually about his character. And Moses says, please show me your glory. And the Lord says in Exodus 33, 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going I'm to say my name, the Lord. Now, if you've been to church at all, you know that we sing songs about the name of the Lord all the time. You know, we, we, I, I've sang enough, I think, already in this message, so I won't sing any more of them. But we sing songs about the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And often we just think, well, the name of the Lord is just kind of a fancy, churchy way of saying God or Jesus or something. But it's actually a technical term that we first find out about in this passage in Exodus when God says, I'm going to tell you my name. I'm going to reveal my name to you. In response to Moses' request to show me your glory, God says, I'm going to tell you my name. And this passage we're looking at is one of the most important passages actually in the Bible because it's where God tells us what he's really like. And what he gives us, moving on to Exodus 34, verses 6 to 8, God gives us seven characteristics that describe the name of the Lord. This is his name. The name of the Lord, it's not just like a one, you know, a one word name. It's a whole description of what he is like, what his character is. That's what his name is. Exodus 34 verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Remember, it's a technical term for what God is like, the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Verse 8 says, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped after hearing the name of the Lord. I'm just going to pause and pray, and maybe you can pause and pray right wherever you're watching. Lord, we see this passage, this powerful passage, where you tell us your name, your glory is revealed, and what you are really liked. And I pray that you would touch each heart listening today, every man and woman, boy and girl, listening to this message and hearing your word. And I pray that we would have a new understanding of what you are like. And if there's anyone out there who who hasn't come to you, may understanding your name and who you are draw them to you and may you bring them to yourself that they may trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do for the rest of this message is look at these seven characteristics of the Lord. The first one is this. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. The first word is merciful. This word could be translated compassionate. The idea is that when God sees people who are in desperate need, who can't help themselves, who need help, his first reaction and the first word used to describe himself, he says, I'm a God who's merciful. I care for those who are in need. Um, The idea behind this word is someone providing care and protection for that which is helpless and dependent. It's like a baby in a mother's womb is actually, this word relates to that. Someone who can't care for themselves. When God sees someone who is in need, his default position is to be merciful towards them. I'm so thankful that God is a God of mercy, who when he sees people who are in need, his default is to help them, to care about that, to have compassion on their need. 
God is a God of mercy. Secondly, it says God merciful and gracious. Not only is God merciful in those in need, he's gracious. Uh, Often I think that we think that God owes us to be nice to us and good to us. But I'll tell you something, God doesn't owe me or you anything. But he's a gracious God. And grace means that he gives us undeserved favor. It's unmerited generosity that God gives towards us. So not only is he merciful, he's also a God who wants to be generous towards us. Not because we deserve it or he owes us, but because he's so kind and loving, he wants to do that. He wants to be kind to us. Thirdly, God is slow to anger. Another word for this is that he's patient with us. Sometimes when you read the Bible, or maybe you grew up in a church where it seemed like God was angry all the time and it kind of came through in the message you heard. What we need to realize is that God is a God who's gracious, merciful. He's slow to anger. He's patient with us. Uh, His default isn't to just be angry and grumpy. It's actually one that is loving and kind and patient, waiting for us to come back to him. One scripture says he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish. He wants you to come to him. He's waiting for you to come to him. He's patient. Even even if you've said, I don't believe in you, God, I don't want to follow you, and you've gone your own way, he's a God who's waiting for you to come because he's slow to anger. Now, there is a reality of judgment. There is a reality of God's anger. It's a real thing. But his starting position is patience of waiting, waiting for years and years and years. If you read the Bible, what you find is often he waits hundreds of years before judgment comes because he wants people to come to him to repent. He's a God who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the fourth characteristic. He abounds. I love that word because it sounds like it is. He's abounding in steadfast love. This word has said in the Hebrew, it's a loyal love that God is talking about here. It's not like the kind of love we hear on, you know, songs on the radio where the love is here today, but now I'm out of love, now I'm in love, now I'm out of love. It's not that kind of love. It's a deep, loyal, covenant love that even when we're not faithful, his love continues on. It's still there. He abounds in that kind of love. It's the kind of love we desperately need in our world and we need in our own lives. He abounds in faithfulness as well. He's a faithful God. And this word faithfulness, when you dig into the meaning, it really revolves around the truth of who he is. He's a God who is loving and a God who is filled with truth. And again, we live in a world that so desperately needs truth and we need things that are true and right in our life. And God abounds in that. Fifthly, it says he keeps steadfast love for thousands. This thousands is not just thousands of people. It's actually thousands of generations. Meaning that God's steadfast love is everlasting. Has no beginning, has no end. He knew you before the foundation of the world. That you would be here today. He has a steadfast love that endures. Next, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. That's the sixth characteristic of God in this passage. He's a God who forgives our sin. Now, one of the big challenges in our world today is that a lot of people don't want to admit that they've sinned. Uh, And and listen, I understand, but I'll tell you right now, I've sinned. I've sinned before, I'll sin again, sadly. 
Every one of us has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. I mentioned that verse earlier. And God is a God who forgives people who humbly come to him and ask for forgiveness. That's the sixth characteristic. Now, the seventh one is is actually jarring after you've heard the first six. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty is number seven. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Wait a second, you say, how how, how can this be? This sounds like judgment type of stuff. We've seen God as loving and merciful and all these wonderful things and forgiving and patient, but now you're talking about judgment here in the passage. How, how can God be all these loving things and yet a just God who punishes sin? How, how, how does this come together? Well, that's a good question, and we're going to address it as the message goes on. But I want to point out something in the passage. I don't want to skip over it. It says, who will by no means clear the guilty. And then it says something strange. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And it sounds strange because it sounds like it's saying God is going to you know, punish me for my grandparents' sin or something. And I think there's a couple of things we need to understand to understand this passage. The first is that it was first given to ancient Israel where families lived together, not just one generation, but you'd have multiple three, four generations living in the same small household. And if the great-grandfather was sinning, the great-grandchild was seeing it and living and being impacted by that. But all the more, there's something else that I think we need to see in this, is that sin impacts across generations. We have a saying that we, we sometimes use. We'll say, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter. Because we often see patterns in children that we see in their parents or even their grandparents. Now, that can be good or that can be bad, and it probably is a mix of both for most of us. And what we see in that is that our parents' and grandparents' sin does have an impact on us, and often we carry those same sins. As a pastor, so often you deal with things and you realize this is something generational going on in the family. But what I'm so thankful for is that God is a God who forgives, who can overcome sins that pass through your family, and that can be overcome by trusting in Jesus, asking his help, and calling a stop to it now, whatever it is. And God can give you the power to do that. Now this phrase, the name of the Lord, I mentioned it earlier. When you hear that phrase, it's actually referring to all these characteristics, these seven things. And when you read the rest of the Bible, you actually find it all the time. It's why it's such an important passage. Because in the Psalms and other passages, you see these phrases coming up again and again. And I just want to give you a couple of examples. David, the famous king of Israel, he had sinned greatly at one point in his life, uh, committing murder and adultery, and it it was a, a terrible moment in his life. And he prayed in Psalm 51, verse 1, for forgiveness. And what he said is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Do you hear what David's saying in this passage? He's appealing to the name of the Lord, for his forgiveness. He's saying, I know you're a God who's merciful. I know you're a God who blots out transgressions. I know you have steadfast, faithful love. And that's my only hope right now because what I've done is so wrong. He appeals to the name of the Lord. Jeremiah, the famous prophet, wrote the book of Lamentations. It's a lament when Israel was being taken into captivity. And about the only happy verse in the whole book is found here in Lamentations 3, 21 and following. He says, this I call to mind, 
Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of the old hymns we still sometimes sing is called Great is Thy Faithfulness. It comes from this passage, and it's a direct appeal to the name of the Lord, saying God is a faithful God. That's what he's like. In the book of Jonah, that crazy story in the Old Testament where Jonah meets that whale and gets swallowed and coughed up and all this, it's an amazing story. Near the end of the book of Jonah, and if you know the story, Jonah, the reason he got in trouble is he was a preacher, he was a prophet, he was supposed to go and preach to a place called Nineveh, but he didn't want to do it. So he went the other way and God had to, well, bring him there the hard way, let's say. And he explains, Jonah explains why he ran the other way. He says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He ran the other way. For I knew, and he's talking to God, I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you, do you hear the language in that? Do you hear the words? It comes back to the passage in Exodus about the name of the Lord. He said, I didn't want to go preach to those people in Nineveh because I, I wanted them to burn, basically, is what he was saying. And I knew if I went and preached, they'd repent and you'd forgive them and give them another chance. And I didn't want that. He's a... It's not a very happy thing that he did, but it's amazing. Even in his sin and running away from God, he knew that the name of the Lord would stand firm and would forgive those people. The Apostle Paul wrote, For everyone who calls on what the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we come into the New Testament, we're moving from Exodus to the New Testament now, we find Jesus Christ. And what we find is that the name of the Lord is on full display in him. We find that he is merciful. He shows compassion for the multitudes, wanting to show mercy through dying on the cross for our sin. He's gracious in that salvation is freely offered to all who will believe in him. It's a free gift. It's not something we earn by being good. It's something that he gives freely to us. We find that he's slow to anger, and it's been 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and he hasn't returned again yet because he wants as many to come in as who will come. And maybe you're watching this today, and you've been thinking, this is a totally different view of God. I've never understood this before. Maybe God is pulling at your heart, and today is the day you're going to respond and be one who receives the blessing of God's patience and waiting for you to come. Jesus abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. His love is deep and huge. God showed his love for us, and while we, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Faithfulness, it talks about truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He keeps steadfast love for thousands, again, thousands of generations. His love is everlasting. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And the cross is all about our sin being forgiven because we trust in Jesus. We identify with his sacrificial death for us. He dies and takes the penalty for sin so that we might have life by trusting in him. And then this last one, I said we'd come back to this. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Interesting. Again, how can God be all these loving, wonderful things and yet be a God who judges and has judgment as well? And the answer is found on Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Because what happens on the cross is that Jesus Christ is receiving the punishment for our sin. God's wrath poured out on him instead of on me and on you. 
And God's love and mercy, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, all these things and his justice are coming together in the blazing glory of God as Jesus hangs on the cross dying for your sin and mine. Do you see the power in the name of the Lord? It's so rich. Again, some of you are watching, you've never heard what God is really like. You've had a view of God that is, is just not high enough. These beautiful things, that's the God we worship. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm calling you to trust in him with a name like this. How do you trust in Jesus? Well, it's, it's not hard, but it's life-changing. There's three things you need to do to put your trust in Jesus. The first is to have faith that Jesus died for your sins and was resurrected. We just celebrated Easter not long ago. You need to believe that he did that for you. You need to repent. That means turning away from your sin, saying, I am turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. You need to surrender. That means giving over your life to him. Now, I realize that sounds scary, giving my life to him. What you'll find, and there's a song that was written some years ago by a Christian artist who said, it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. So many times we don't come to Jesus because we're holding on to things in our life that we should be letting go of, but we're afraid if we, if, if we let go, we'll feel like we're trapped, we're enslaved, when in fact those things we're holding on to are what are enslaving us. And when we let go of them, whatever it is that's keeping you from Jesus, you find freedom in that. That's the invitation to come to Jesus today, to trust in the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know what? There's even more. Because the scripture says that all who trust in Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God, Father, Son, Spirit that we talk about. God is three in one. And the Spirit of God indwells those who trust in Jesus. And what the Spirit does is actually starts to produce fruit in your life so that you start to shine out with the name of the Lord in your life. You become a person who is merciful. You become a person who wants to show more grace to people. You become a person who's patient, more patient. Oh, how I need more patience, Lord. You become a person who's more patient. You become a person who starts to abound in steadfast love and faithfulness. You become a person whose love continues and isn't this up and down kind of love. You become a person who forgives others when they wrong you. And you become a person who cares about justice and righteousness in this world. Because the power of the name of the Lord starts to live in you. Not something that is out of you, but it's something that God is putting in you and producing in you. And you start to become the person that we all wish we could be because of the power of God and because of the name of the Lord flowing out of your life. Again, I don't know where you're at. I, I, I may not know you, may not have met you. But the Lord knows you personally. He knew you again before this world was, was started. His love is everlasting. And this name of the Lord that we've learned about today, you can trust that God in whose name we pray, in whose name we sing, in whose name this whole church exists because of his great name and who he is. I invite you to trust in him today and I invite you to walk in the name of the Lord as you trust his spirit to work in you day by day. Let me just pray for you. Oh, our great and heavenly Father, the riches of your name. I pray for every person who's out there watching this. 
sitting with family or sitting at home, maybe by themselves, wherever they are. I pray for some who need to trust in you, they would put their trust in you today, knowing that they're worshiping a merciful, gracious, forgiving, and loving God, a just God. And I pray for others who have trusted him over the years that they may be renewed in a sense of the name of the Lord being produced in them, watching, trusting in you, Lord, to produce this day by day that we may live out in these challenging times, live out your name in our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. What a fantastic message from Tim. If you would like to begin a journey with Jesus or to get connected to our church in any way, please reach out to us and we'll be happy to do that. In the meantime, have a blessed week.